0: If you have your Bibles with you, turn to Revelation chapter 10, and to set the stage for our lesson, follow along while I read chapter 10, through 11. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. He was robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. His face was like the sun, and his legs were like fiery pillars. He was holding a little scroll which lay open in his hand. He planted his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and he gave a loud shout like the rest of a lion, like the roar of a lion. And when he shouted, the voices of the seven thunders thunder spoke. And when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write, but. I heard a voice from heaven say seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down then the angel I've been standing then the angel I had seen standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and he swore by him who lives forever and ever who created the heavens and all that is in them the earth and all that is in it And the sea and all that is in it and said there will be no more delay but in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet the mystery of god will be accomplished just as he announced to his servants the prophets then the voice that i had heard from heaven spoke to me once more go take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel was standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and I asked him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, take it and eat it. It will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth, it will be as sweet as honey. I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it. It tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. Then I was told, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. So we're going to talk about the mighty angel and the little scroll. What does the little scroll itself represent? Well, I'm going to hold off answering that question toward the end of the lesson. And as you know, we are going through the book of Revelation with the main theme Actually, there's there's a couple of things that come together through the whole book, and that is God is faithful to his people, no matter how difficult times are when they're going through it. And number two is that we are victorious. We live the victorious life. And as a result of all that God has, is, and will do for us, it helps us worship him. And with the language Uh, in the book of Revelation, Worthy Art Thou. In fact, we have a song in our songbook titled that, Worthy Art Thou, Lord, This Is Why We Worship You. So this little scroll, when the first mighty angel appears, in chapter 5 and verse 2, you may remember that he asked John, who was worthy, to open the sealed scroll. But once that seventh seal was opened, In chapter 8, verse 1, the scroll's not mentioned until right now in chapter 10. And now the mighty angel holds that little scroll. So what does the mighty angel do in this chapter? Well, I want you to notice the description first. He's robed in a cloud. And this was one artist's rendition of it. So I didn't know if in your own thinking you had sort of imagined this. The book of Revelation is filled with creative imagination, and it invites you more than any other book of the New Testament to to use your imagination to to see what's going on. But this angel, notice, was robed in a cloud, and he had a rainbow above his head. Uh, Many people think that the significance of the rainbow has to do with covenant language going all the way back. Remember? Remember? After the flood, what was it that God used as a sign to Noah that he would never destroy the earth like that ever again? The rainbow. And we who are Christians, and I've said this before, we need to take the rainbow back. (laughs) And I think you know what I'm referring to, okay? The rainbow is a sign of God's covenant. And so when you have this mighty angel clothed with clouds all around, with a rainbow over his head, it's supposed to send the message of God's covenant authority that this angel is representing. Now, notice, he plants his feet on the land, and he plants his feet on the sea. And I want you to notice that the land and the sea are their primary focus of the first two uh, trumpet judgments that we ran across in chapter 8, verses 7 and and through 9. But the angel raises his right hand to heaven and takes an oath to add credence to his statements that follow. And we find this practice in the Old Testament. At the close of his visions, Daniel himself as a prophet, he saw an angelic figure, hovering above the water, and here's what it says in Daniel 12, verse 7. This angel lifted his right hand and his left hand toward heaven, and I heard him swear by him who lives forever. The song of Moses in Deuteronomy 32, verse 40, describes the oath of vengeance that God takes against his adversaries. I will lift up my hand to heaven, and I will swear with my right hand. So here is the angel recognizing with God's authority that everything I'm going to do and everything I'm going to say comes from the very presence and authority of God. The angel tells John here, and I want to look at, yeah, when he says that the time will be no more, the angel tells John that this time, of course, we understand it as Uh, time moving along as history, but this time is God's time. The time refers back to the fifth seal where the martyred servants were told, just wait a little bit longer, literally a short time, chapter 6, verse 11, for the rest of their brothers and sisters who will have to go through persecution and martyrdom. In the book of Daniel, we find the prophet praising God because the changing of the times and the seasons belong to God. There, there's an interesting viewpoint in scripture that I'd like for us to challenge us to recapture. And I think the reason it's important is because we live, uh, as what we, what we call children of the enlightenment and the scientific age. Okay. And when we talk about the changing of the seasons, and I had earlier, you know, the daffodil picture up there, we've had snow. If we're not careful, we only talk about and think about the changing of the seasons from a scientific human perspective. The Bible is very clear in how it phrases that, that it is God who is responsible for. God changes the seasons and the time. So we just we just need to remind ourselves of that. Here in Revelation God is communicating that human time is now determined and the short time has run out for these readers. Then there's the voice of the seven thunders. It's a mysterious voice. We don't know what those thunders were saying. They appear only here in the book of Revelation, but perhaps their message concerns the seven final bowls of judgment that are coming out, who, at this point, the voice of these seven thunders looks like it would be premature if they were to say anything. But again, notice that this is parallel to the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, Daniel 8.26. The vision of the evenings and mornings that he has given you is true, but seal up the vision, for it concerns the distant future. And we think that's what's going on here. Later, the mighty angel tells John, no, don't you write down what the seven thunders are saying. You know, close it up, seal it up. It's because the time is not yet right for that earlier promise that the time would be short. So when you seal something up, it concerns the future. Daniel 12, 4, but you, Daniel, roll up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end. Many will go here and there to increase knowledge. And what he means by that is they're going to go to the wrong places, think that they can figure out what the future is. And I'm telling you, that is a human propensity, isn't it? We all want to know the future. And I said last week in chapter nine, when he talked about that it was for that very uh, hour and day and month and year that they acted, you're thinking... Wow, that would, as far from a human perspective, that would have been the perfect place for the Lord to have inserted a calendar <laughs> so we could know the exact date when all this stuff is going to happen. It's just not there. And and I've often thought, kind of stepped back from Revelation, here's what I thought is, had specific dates and time been given for some of these succeeding generations of Christians would have written off the book of Revelation. say, well, that's already happened. It was just for them. It doesn't apply to us. There's so much the way that it's written. It's clear that in every generation, not just the first generation of these seven churches of Asia in chapters two and three, but every generation of Christians needs to be aware of the spiritual dynamics and principles and, and uh, God's timing of how things are moving toward, the end time of destiny. Daniel 12, nine. He said, go your way, Daniel, because the words are rolled up and sealed until the time of the end. So the stance of the mighty angel suggests that he represents the creator of the earth and the sea and that further judgment still awaits the listeners. When I, when I was growing up, I just have to share this with you. The preacher that I grew up listening to, had an interesting habit on Sunday morning, and he always would do this right at the invitation time. And I, and he was referring back to this chapter 10. He said that at the last day of judgment, there will be a mighty angel standing with one foot on the sea, another one on the land, and he'll have the scroll in his hand, and he'll say, time is, time was, and time shall be no more. So you better do something this morning. <laughs> and, that's, and And I remember that growing up. And I thought, you know, that is a sense of urgency and Revelation. Time is, time was, time will be no more. Are we getting ready for that? Okay, so this angel in chapter 10 is giving that kind of message. Then it talks about the mystery of God. The angel next dramatically announces the seventh trumpet that's going to be sounded and that God's purposes will be accomplished. God's often used his servants, the prophets, to reveal his plans. And it's interesting, even as Jesus comes along in his ministry, uh, when you read through the Gospels, there are people who, even though they didn't really understand Jesus, but some of them thought that he was a prophet that followed the line of the Old Testament prophets. Because the way he spoke and how he was holding God's people accountable was in the vein of the Old Testament prophets. And so what you'll find in the Bible, both Old and New Testament, is that God would use prophets to reveal his plans and his purposes. Listen to chapter 3, verse 7, by Amos the prophet. I love this one. Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. So in the Old and New Testament, the prophets were more in the know than the average person because God would reveal this to the prophets, but they were to turn around and speak that message to God's people. The mystery of God relates to his divine purposes in the redemption and judgment on the earth. Well, so we talked about the mystery of God, but what is John supposed to do? Steal it up. Don't write it down. And I want you to notice that the final vision in the book of Revelation, John is commanded, and this is is how it ends in Revelation, not to seal it up. Chapter 22, verse 10, then he told me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this scroll because the time is near. So by the time the early Christians would have either heard the book of Revelation read out loud or they read it themselves all the way through, The idea is, okay, to be ready for the end time, the time is near, then I need to take heart everything in the book of Revelation that's been unsealed and revealed in this book of Revelation by John. Well, the angel says, go and take the scroll that lies in the hand of the angel who's standing on the sea and on the land. And I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and I ate it it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. You ever had that happen? You eat something you think's good, but <laughs> later on, your stomach reacts. It sounds like the beginning of a new phase of God's working. It sounds like the new beginning of John's ministry. The words are sweet, but the process is sour. We're going to talk about that in a moment. And I saw a great illustration on Facebook the other day. I want to give you a good illustration. Somebody had taken a great big old fish tank and put a huge frog in it, but also put in that fish tank those great big old Asian hornets that everybody's been talking about and afraid of. Have you ever seen those? The news has been talking about those. Well, whoever did this experiment had an Asian hornet, and they, they put it in the fish tank. And Mr. Frog thought, oh my goodness, this is going to be the biggest, sweetest treat I've ever had. And he went after it, gobbled it up, and you could tell that probably as he was eating it, the uh, the Asian hornet was giving him some stings in the mouth like he had never planned for. So because the frog's eyes started bugging out, and you could tell he was he was reacting to that bug. Well... You could see he swallowed it. Came the second time, he was like, okay. And you could tell he didn't think about it because it was a big bug. He went after it again, and he, and he was shaking his head like, what did I just do? And when, the, when the, whoever was doing the experiment put the third one in, Mr. Frog kept backing away from it. <laughs> I don't want any more of that. So two of them was enough for him. So something that looks delectable may not end up tasting so good. This is what's happened to John, okay? So now what's interesting is we have passages in the Old Testament that refer to the sweetness of God's word. Uh, I I don't know if if you've ever thought about in your Bible study just consciously remembering that what David said is that the word of God is sweet like honeycomb. When you open your Bible, I hope you feel that sweetness, it's just amazing that it's the word from God. And that that's how we're to perceive it. Well, it, it raises a huge question, though. Okay, if this is referring to God's revelation and John looks at it as being really sweet and sweet in the mouth, well, what happens when it reaches the stomach? Something happened, okay? Here's what I think happened. As John is eating that scroll, it is the sweetness of the blessings of God's revelation to his people. And Christian writers then have tried to figure out why once it reaches his stomach, it turns sour. Um, It looks like people have said one or other, one or the other of these two ideas. And I read last night where somebody pulled them together, but the sourness of this scroll has to do with it's kind of a bittersweetness for the Christian that you experience, the blessings, the power of the word of God, but also because you've chosen to be a Christian, there'll be things in this life that may, that may seem bitter because you've chosen, but also you're aware that the bitterness, and we're going to see this later on in some of the chapters is all the calamities and the woes and the chaos and, um, the punishment and the judgments, everything that people on earth that don't come to God in a covenant relationship with them and they're not Christians, for John, it is an awareness that the rest of the book of Revelation is not going to taste well at all to those who rebel against God. And I want you, I want, and, and for those of us who are Christians, it is kind of a double-edged sword, isn't it? That that, man, there's so much in there that's so sweet, and we love it but then we're also aware, look at the people that I know that don't embrace that, that it's not sweet to them. So so it's almost like you kind of have these two feelings at once, sadness and pity, and your heart goes out to those who don't know Jesus and they never embrace the sweetness of the word of God. And so this is what John is trying to get across. So as we end the lesson this morning, I want us to remember some things very clearly. What are we supposed to do? What was John supposed to do? Well, at this point, he's, he's not, he well, it says he's also supposed to prophesy to all of the languages and the tribes and the nations and the kings, which represents the universal nature of the gospel. The gospel is good news for everybody. And we who are Christians who have tasted its sweetness, we can't think of a better message to share with those who don't know. So what are we supposed to do? First of all, the sweetness of God's word will sustain us and remain us eternally, no matter what brief bitterness in this ungodly world initially results and that we have to experience. So I don't care what this world dishes out. It's the sweetness of God's word that will sustain us and remain in us eternally. Well, what else are we supposed to do? Time, history and time, the chronos, we get our English word chronology. It's quickly running, running out to be replaced by eternal time. and we, we need to hear this. Eternity, you, you can't. I was given an expensive watch a couple weeks ago, and it quit. (laughs) So I had to go back to my old reliable Timex. I've had that thing forever. Um, Time is running out, and it's not time on your clock, not time on your watch. It's God's time, eternal, to be with him forever. And we as Christians are supposed to anticipate that, and that's part of how we view our Eternity and our destiny. What are we supposed to do? The sound of the trumpet reminds us that God's will is and will be accomplished. In so many ways, this can make a whole lesson just in itself. God's will has always been accomplished since He's created the world. The big question for all of us is do I want to be a part of that? God's will, as it is not only revealed but accomplished in our day and time. Do I want to be a part of that? Because after all, God's will is going to be accomplished no matter if I join it or not. Uh, I heard someone recently kind of give a a neat illustration of this, that the best way to live the Christian life is to recognize what part you have in God's story. Because God's up to something. So how do you fit into God's plan and what he's up to? And I can choose to be a part of that or not. Also, what we learn from this is that it could be that this scroll is written on two sides. One depicts the sweetness of God's word. The other side contains the woes and the laments of disobedient humanity or even the painful realities of the Christian living in this world because it is a sinful world. And then last of all, this prophecy is universal. It's the call of the gospel that what I need to do is to be like John, be faithful to the opportunity, be faithful with the message, be aware that God's going to open doors for me. Maybe this coming week, God will give you an opportunity to share the good news with someone. Sometimes, this is what we've had to learn the hard way, sometimes to build that bridge to share the good news, we have to listen first. (laughs) Have you ever had a conversation with somebody You want to tell them something, but they want to do all the talking and they're not listening to you. Well, uh, when that happens, not a whole lot of communication is going on. But to think this opportunity, the universal call for the gospel, and it's all over the New Testament. It doesn't matter who you are, where you have come from. See, we live in a culture that makes distinctions. The world has always made distinctions. In Christ, there is no distinction. When you come to Christ, We're all in the family of God. We're all equal in the sight of God. And what a beautiful thing that is to recognize that. So this chapter 10 is interesting because this little scroll has a tremendous part to play in getting his readers ready for the rest of the book as it unfolds, but also those of us as we're going through the book of Revelation to take the journey with John and to look at two things, how bad the world is, but how good it is for us who live in this world. Because in the book of Revelation, what you're going to find over and over is this picture. Yeah, Satan is the God of this world. God's letting him for a brief time have his way in the world. But then the other part is his time is limited. He's not going to be able to have forever to stay after it. So if you need to respond to the invitation this morning with this sweetness of the scroll be the great invitation for you.